Hey guys, this is Justice. I am Johnny and Elizabeth's second daughter, and I also do branding and media for Store 7 and uh, Restore Government and probably some of the other nonprofits in the future. Um, I am here today with my boyfriend, who also happens to be our COO, Chris Keel, and we're going to be talking about Passover, which is coming up soon. Uh, about two years ago, I was reading through the Old Testament again, and I just felt the Lord really highlighting all of the original biblical feasts and kind of inviting me to just learn more about him and, and have this experience of observing all of the holidays with him. And so I did it one year, and I loved it so much, and I felt like it was so impactful that I decided to just keep doing it. Um, and that was something that Chris and I actually originally really connected over because you've been doing this for like over a decade. <laughs> and so he just has a lot of um, like really good wisdom and knowledge about the feasts and everything. And so today we're going to be talking about Passover. Um, so my first question to you is when is it? Because <laughs> it's really soon. Yeah, yeah. So it's this year. Um, it starts on the 8th, so it's the 8th through the following, that's a Wednesday, so it starts on Wednesday evening, and it goes to the following Thursday of the next week. Um, actually, it's technically one one night, but then starts the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's te technically, they're two separate feasts, um, but they happen, they're celebrated as one, as one feast time, basically. So it starts this Wednesday. And if you want to get really technical about it, then you could actually be following the new moon um, sightings because they count off, like in the Torah, it says, like, from the sign of the, the new moon, you'll count 14 days. And so, but because, you know, after the diaspora, Jewish people were spread all over, the rabbinical community came together and said, we have to, just for the sake of travel, pick the closest days that we think this is going to happen on. And so oftentimes, um, when it's celebrated according to the rabbinical side, it's not actually like accurate to the Torah. Okay. Um, but it's just, they've, they've set it up that way so people can plan and, and make the trip. But, um, it's probably pretty close. Yeah, it is pretty close. So for our, for the sake of the question, it starts this next Wednesday. Um, and it goes to the following Thursday as the last night of unleavened bread. Very cool. Um, so can you give us some history of when Passover first began, what was happening in history at this time, what was happening with the Israelites at this time? Um, when God first spoke to them about Passover? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think it's good to contextualize a little bit, like, what's going on. So, you know, we all know, most of us know the story, at least, that they were slaves in Egypt. Um, you know, they had gone down, um, and there was basically the time of Joseph. They, you know, we know the Exodus story. We know Moses. We know... And so they were living in Egypt at the time. And what's actually really interesting about this is that um, even before Israel goes down into Egypt, the Lord basically promised to Abraham that this is going to happen. And so in Genesis 15, 13 through 16, he says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go in your father's house in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And mm -hmm. so there's actually a couple of interesting things in here. The Lord is actually prophesying to Abraham. He's telling him that 
basically you're you're going to be in Egypt for he doesn't list Egypt but he says you're going to be there for 400 years which is just that's how long the Egyptians were actually that's in crazy. Egypt so he says this um, before this happens and then he's saying also that he, he calls it the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete so it's almost like something was happening there that needed to wait for Israel mm-hmm. to actually go in and then take the land from the Amorites and go into Canaan and so there's almost these two things that are happening what's really interesting about this is that this happens right before um, the Hagar situation happens, and so uh-huh. uh, right after, so the, you know, the Lord is talking to him, and if you think about it, um, Sarai, which is Sarah, uh, Moses' wife, you know, she, she is the one that more or less kicks Hagar. Abraham's wife. Yeah, Abraham's wife is the one who kicks Hagar, the maidservant, out into the desert with Ishmael, right? And so this is more or less, like, at the time, they're more or less sending them to their death because, mm. you know, it's the middle of the desert, yeah. where are they going to go? You know, you even see this happen. She cries out for the Lord, the angel, you know, the Lord comes to her, and, and he gives um, Hagar and Ishmael their promise, you know? And so um, Hagar is also Egyptian, and so there's something really mm-hmm. interesting. It's, you know, this is something that's extra biblical, but the sages say that it's actually because of the way that Moses and Sarah treated um, wow. Ishmael and Hagar that this actually came, that they were then enslaved in Egypt, for this period of time while the iniquity of the Amorites was building up. And so you have this connection there. So this is the period that we find ourselves in, um, you know, that Israel has been slaves for 400 years. It talks about that there was, you know, a Pharaoh in who would not let them serve their God, who would not let them worship, who, you know, basically forced them to work seven days a week to make the bricks. There's this mm-hmm. whole story of this context. And so, you know, they are, they are slaves. And, and I think in many ways you can say that, they've probably at this point really forgotten, you know, the story of Abraham. I mean, it's, yeah. it's become like a distant memory, you know I mean? You've got 400 years um, of this, this where you've just been in this. I mean, that's so many, it's 10 generations, basically, or four generations that have gone by that you have no context, you have no faith, you know, yeah. you're, you're born into this. And so it, it's really pretty significant how, and dramatic how God comes on the scene, you know, and how he, how he raises Moses up, yeah. um, you know, and then he starts working these miracles in basically in the midst, you know, and in, if you can just imagine what feeling like a slave would like, and then all of a sudden you're having these miracles and kind of plagues hit yeah. the people that are enslaving you. You're starting um, to experience yeah, some kind just, of favor. Totally. <laughs> just kind of like, wow, Crazy. this is maybe there is something, there's a God there. And so, you know, basically the Passover... The Passover lamb, or this, this is the last of the ten plagues. And it's the one where God is basically saying he's going to slay the firstborn of um, every person who does not have the blood on the door. Um, and he says both human and animal. And so it's just, it's it's interesting because there's no, he's not judging like, what is the condition of their hearts? Like, what have they done before this? The only question is, do they have the blood on the door? You know, mm. and that's that's really the significance of the Passover lamb. And so um, it's this whole story that starts with them in slavery. And what I think is really interesting about this, too, is that the previous plagues had just hit the uh, the Egyptians. And so the nine previous plagues were only on the Egyptian side of, of the story. Mm. But now this plague, like the death angel, it goes into both both sides. It's like it's doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Egyptian if you have the blood, which I think is actually very, um, it's a foreshadow of how God continues to yeah. work with humanity. So that's the, the context for how we find um, Passover first verse, and then it's commanded that 
they slay the lamb, they put the blood over the door, um, they eat the lamb that night, if there's anything left over, they have to burn it in the morning, and then they, the whole idea is that this is done, done in haste because they're fleeing from Egypt, and mm-hmm. so that's, that's the context of it. Um, also, if you guys hear any weird sounds in the background, we're sitting outside. We are all quarantined currently yeah. um, in Blue Ridge, Georgia. It's so nice outside right now that we decided to record this outside, but there is um, the sound of boats and geese <laughs> and <laughs> lots of things. Yeah. Um, anyways, okay, so uh, you're saying they had to put blood over the doorpost. So what is the significance of blood? Because if I'm them at this time and God is like, put blood over your doorposts and I have no context for that, it's yeah. going to be a little weird for me. <laughs> well, I think there's so much mystery in blood, period. You know, like, yeah. why was even the blood of Yeshua enough to ransom all of mankind? You know, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's a, we don't know anything other than that was just the way that the sacrificial system was set up. It's the thing that we fall onto as, as the new covenant, that Jesus is blood. And so... There's, it doesn't necessarily say, you know, I think you can contextualize it like maybe it's just the reality, as simple as life and death, you know, yeah. life and death is in the blood, you know, and so, um, you know, we know, we know sin came into mankind through one man in the same way that the death and the blood of one man, mm-hmm. you know, ransoms it. So it could be as simple as that, you know, but there is a story um, that would have been in Israel's mind previous to this happening, and that was the idea of Abraham and um, Yitzhak, where... He's told to sacrifice Yitzhak, but then at the last moment, the Lord provides the ram. And so you have this kind of understanding that, that this this kind of situation would be something that would be historically, um, there, there would be a memory of this, like this would be in your story. And so then we obviously know the significance of the blood on the post. It's foreshadowing, obviously, Jesus when he comes yeah. and he dies on the cross. So you have this kind of contextual thing that's already happened with Abraham and Isaac. But it's also foreshadowing, you know, the blood of, of Jesus on the cross. And so that's really the significance of it. And we can actually read, um, I'll read some of the Exodus 12 here. Um, so, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one of their ne- their nearest neighbors, having taken into account the number of people there there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat raw or boiled meat, but roast it over a fire, with the legs, heads, and internal organs, and do not leave any of it until morning. It is, if some of it is left until morning, then you must burn it. This is, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals in your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your, your division out of Egypt. Celebrate this as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so interesting about this is that, you know, I think oftentimes we think about this this feast as a, this is something that was Israel did. This is like this is something that belongs to the Jews. This is, and there's. 
and those are all true. Yeah. But it, this is not like a Jewish feast. Yeah. It, it calls it the feast of the Lord. And so I, I think in this, you know, if we were to read this a little bit further, it says it doesn't matter whether it's a foreigner, a, a native born or a non-born, like anyone who wanted to be associated with Israel would, would observe this feast. And so I just think in that, you know, there's a invitation even to believers now. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not like something you do for righteousness or anything like it's just right. an invitation into um something that i think is really insignificant to god yeah. um and it's like there's i think a perfect example of this it was your grandmother's birthday who's no longer living mm-hmm. um, but your mom's mom a few nights ago and your mom got everyone around the table and she shared stories and just told us a little bit about you know yeah. and it's like you do these things to to you know to remember what's happened you know you yeah. do this to remember it's not like you don't have to do that, right. you know, but there's something about remembering who we serve, remembering our God, remembering the power that he has delivered. Um, I mean, this story yeah. is representative of each one of our the believer's life, you know. I mean, it really is from bondage to freedom, you know, and that is the journey of every human being, you know. And so it's like there, I think all this is is just an imitation into yeah. um, something that I believe is really important to the Lord. Yeah, and I think... Well, like what you're saying, there's so much about the nature of God that's revealed through each of the feasts, and that's really why I um, was so impacted that I was like, wow, this is something I want to keep doing forever, because, um, I mean, the 24 elders are always casting their crowns before the Lord, because there's always something new, like, they're always saying something new about the nature of God and who He is, and so mm-hmm. we can't even, <laughs> even just a fraction of that we can't even comprehend yeah. on earth, and so, to me, the feasts are an amazing opportunity of taking moments to look at different parts of the nature of God, different parts of who He is, um, because each of them really have different significance. And obviously, Passover yeah. is is very significant really because good. of its connection with Jesus, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Um, okay, so you kind of touched on this already, but I think it's important to like hit on this again, that um, the way that this plague was different than the other nine... Yeah, you know, so the other nine were, were strictly on anything that was was Egyptian in nature. And so, you know, it talks about how, and there's actually specifically a god that associated, a Egyptian god that was associated with each plague. Wow. And so each plague was to actually, was, was done to defy a specific Egyptian god. And so... Okay, I, I have never heard that yeah, before, Yeah, so every plague was actually, like, lined up with one of the Egyptian gods. Wow. that God was basically saying, like... Like, you're going to know that I'm greater than, these, than yeah. these gods. And so, but on the last one, you know, it was, it was, it covered both camps, like the Egyptian and the Israel, the Jewish camp. And so this idea that I think when this came, I think it's, it's really God connecting and opening up a new dimension to like an individual's choice. Like you have a mm-hmm. choice, you've seen this, you know, and I think even on the Egyptian side, it gave them the opportunity. You know, the opportunity as well, you know, and I think that ultimately, you know, we see this um, specifically with the New Covenant, how it just kind of explodes out of a, you know, the Jewish olive tree um, or the cultivated olive tree, but how now it, it, it grafts in, you know, a whole, basically the rest of the Gentile world. Yeah. And so we see a foreshadow of this here, that when this comes, like you have the opportunity um, to accept this to just put the blood on the door and and then you will be saved and so it's it's really i just i think there's 
I just love it because it doesn't contextualize even a person's life. Yeah. It's not like listing out, you did this right, you did this wrong. It was just simply, do you have the blood on the door? You know, mm-hmm. and I really think that with Jesus, it's just that simple as well. Like, mm-hmm. do you believe? <laughs> yeah. Like, is, is my blood on your heart? You know, I mean, this idea yeah. that, like, have you, been, have you been ransomed through that? And so I think it's just such a, a you know, prophetic but also poignant way of describing um the future that and you know there's probably so much mystery in the idea that you know the it talks about the lamb that was slain before time you know is one of the way one of the names that that's called Mm -hmm. so what does that even mean it's like it's like even this could have happened before like you know Mm -hmm. the lamb that was slain before time like Mm. so was he slain before time you know was this something that happened in a different realm even before this or was this just is this declaring what this what this will be, you know? So I don't know. There's this, there's there's some mystery around it, you know. But there's really, it's with what we know, we can even just see so much meaning in it. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, so a lot of people are probably wondering, like, what is the significance of this now? And I know I had some interesting experiences growing up of going to satyrs and. It wasn't anything it, that what felt like powerful or significant, yeah. um, and I think that's what comes to people's mind a lot of time when they think of like observing Passover and they're not understanding the significance behind it. And I think unfortunately we haven't people who do like observe the feast haven't always done a good job of modeling like a like a way of doing that that's really in touch and intimate with the Lord versus yeah. being ritualistic only. Totally. <clears throat> well, I think. I think whenever you start to study the Old Testament and you start to study more of the Hebraic root system and the way of thinking about the world, I think it's really, it can, it can look like you're devolving into some kind of legalistic Torah observant, you know, that you're letting go of grace, all these things. And I, I really don't think it has to be that way. I, I think that Some people definitely go that direction, totally, but it doesn't have to. No, totally. Yeah. I think the healthy, I, I mean, the healthy way... The healthy way that I navigated, I feel like, was to me, it just felt like an invitation to mm. understand something that was significant to God. You yeah. know, um, I do it completely free of any of what, you know, the scripture talks about. There's no obligation. There's no judgment in it. There's no, either, there's no obligation. It's just like you come to it on your own free will. It's like, you know, one of the things that it calls, the, the Hebrew word for all this stuff is the modim, which means the appointed time is the mm. Lord, you know? And so, uh, to me, I look at it, at it as this is significant to the God that I love, you know? And so, I'm going to make it significant to me, not because I have to do it, not because I'm required by some law to do it. It's just none of those things. I, I just believe that he cares about this. And so, for me, that was what kind of sparked my interest mm. in it as well. And... I just, I think that if you do it in any other spirit, it can get really, get really weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, this is also not something that I was planning to talk about, but I think uh, a lot of people have confusion about Easter and Passover. Like, I actually didn't know that Passover, and we're going to talk about this in a second, sorry, I'm kind of cutting to this chase a little bit. I didn't realize that Passover corresponded to the death and resurrection of Jesus and all of that. Um, Because growing up, I celebrated Easter, and I I think that was actually something really impactful for me, was just just learning that the significance of the timeline of Jesus' life with um, Passover and kind of 
where the idea of this other holiday of Easter and Good Friday and these other things came from. And so if you haven't researched that, we don't have time to get into all of that because it's like really long. Um, I don't think that it's evil to, you know, celebrate that. Um, but I think that it is something interesting to look at where that came from and why we started celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection on Easter, which actually was originally a pagan holiday, um, instead of on Passover. Yeah, and I think that there's, there's, this is like a whole can of worms. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's good, it's good. I think it's a good individual wrestle. I think, I think where people get in trouble is when they try to, um, take what can be a personal desire to learn something and then like put that on like a whole group of people or say others should do this you know I think it really does have to come out of a place of desire of interest of love I almost feel like God also has to call you into this kind of interest and definitely um, you know to me that that just seems like the safest way to approach it um but I do think there there is you know there is so much in this I mean it's we are followers of, of Jesus, you know, and so this is what he did, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it really is, like, it was significant to him, it was significant enough to this whole story that we found ourselves in, that he was prophetically declared at this time, Yeah, he came and died at this time, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just, it holds so much significance, and you just cannot deny that, so I think this is really just an invitation into that experience, yeah. do you want to experience like that, and so, you know, there's so much meaning in today's and today for it, you know, I think that it's amazing just to see the prophetic declaration, you know, how this was made thousands of years ago, yeah. you know, and then, and then yeah. Jesus fulfilled it and now we're thousands of years and people are still commemorating it and memori- and, and remembering it, you know, and I think it was, it was very frequent where God would say, I want you to write this down because I want you to remember this. Like, yeah. I want you to write this down because you're like, you know, you're, you're weak. <laughs> your, your minds are weak. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like, you know, you need to, you need to remember like what. So I think that it's an invitation into kind of the, the root system of our faith. Yeah. And, and that's really cool. And so I think, you know, it talks about these, you know, like I said before, that the, the, the feasts are actually called the Moedim, which means the appointed times, you know, mm-hmm. so these are the appointed times of the Lord. And it's like, you know, if the girl you love loves to do X, Y, and Z, you do it because, you know, she loves it. That's you know? right. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like that's, the part of that is just that. And this is, you know, there's seven times when, when the Lord says, like, these are my appointed hours, yeah. these are my appointed, and I think there's something significant in that. And so in Matthew 26, even, Jesus calls the Passover my appointed time, and mm. so he personalized it, and he uses well, like the same, it's the same the same word. It's not like now it's not the appointed time of like the feast of the Lord. Now he he says it's my appointed mm. time, and he's using the same phrase just to signify. You know, he's looking back at the the Passover, but he's also now claiming it as his own, and so he's taking ownership over this. Wow. And so, you know, this is this is significant in how he does it. Um, he, you know, he's basically identifying himself with this whole period. And so, you know, Paul connects with it in Colossians. He does it with in Corinthians. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's something that I feel like is just so rich with, it's just pregnant with meaning, yeah. you know? And so that's, yeah. I'm going to ask you more about that in a second, but I also just want to make sure that I clarify what I was saying before too, that like, I think that the like kind of what you're saying. I think the most important thing is that we are still 
remembering Jesus and what he did on the cross through communion and even through Easter that the idea that people all over the world are still commemorating this I think is like the most important thing Mm -hmm. um and I think that a, a lot of the reason God wants us to remember his appointed times is it also benefits us like it's not only are we um loving him well by by partaking in these days that are about him but that there's also something in it for us because as we see the nature of God through these holidays like it's kind of like the whole idea of adoration and um, magnifying the Lord and what you focus on you're going to see more of and so through every feast we see a different face of him like I was saying before and so it actually strengthens us and encourages us and helps us have our identity and helps us like be our most effective um the most effective versions of ourselves and the most just confident in our identity and, and all of those good things. Totally. Totally um, okay. Sorry. That was my side note. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, good. That's good. so the last 14 days of Jesus life and it's correspondence with the timeline of Passover and yeah. the feast of unleavened bread. Tell well, there's, us yeah, there's so much Jesus connection in this. So now we like, let's just revert to Jesus's life for a second. Um, so in the account of John, John tells us that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the 10th day. Um, now in Exodus, we read the 10th day was when you were supposed to bring the lamb into, mm-hmm. into your house. And so just to contextualize this a little bit, um, year round, they would raise lambs and goats. Um, when Passover would start on the 10th day, um, before Passover started, they would bring the lamb into their house and then they had the lamb for, there for four days. Now, this would actually kind of be shocking. Could you imagine if you had like little kids and you had brought this lamb into your home and then like you have to slaughter this lamb in front it's of your brutal. kids? Like, I mean, but think about like what it is like creating. I mean, you're seeing, you're, you're, you're seeing the, re- you're seeing a reality yeah. of something of life and death in a way, you know, and you're seeing something innocent dying totally, for your protection. For your, totally. And so you have this. And so John records us just in the same way that they would bring the lamb into the house on the 10th day that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th day. Um, so the, in Exodus 12, then it says that the Torah gives the instruction for the celebration of Passover. The, the children of Israel were, were supposed to choose a lamb on the 10th day, which is what we just talked about. And then four, this is four days before the actual slaughter. Um, and what's really interesting when Jesus comes in, it also records this. The people are shouting because they're having, you know, they're in a, the feast mode. They're getting ready for it, but they're shouting, save us, save us, we pray. Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom that comes. Our father David, save us from the highest. Save us, son of David. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, mm. even the king of Israel. And so it's like they're declaring all of these things, not even knowing that Jesus is coming <laughs> yeah. in, you know, but they're declaring wow. it in this prophetic sense as he's coming into Jerusalem. And so he's coming in and they're declaring this, this is all happening on the 10th day. Now, you know, one of the things that you would do to have to bring the lamb and it would have to be a lamb, you know, now switching back to how it talks about an Exodus, you would have to choose a lamb that had no blemish. Mm. And this was really, really important. This, this had to be a pure spot, spotless lamb. So obviously the rele- the re- relevance here is that Yeshua is completely, yeah. you know, Jesus is the spotless lamb. He was completely sinless. And so you have this same correlation that he's meeting the idea, you know, he's meeting the, the, same standard that was that was set for the Passover lamb and his, um, you know, becoming flesh, his living completely sinless life. And so I think another aspect that is really cool is that the Jewish people go around and they, they, they take all the leaven out of the home right before this starts. And so 
anything that leaven re- represents pride, it represents sin. They just take all the leaven out of the home, and so you have just a, basically a home that has no leaven in it. And so there's so much significance in this, but in many ways you can see the, this was also right when Jesus did the, when he went to the temple and he chased the people out mm. and he said that, you know, you're, my house has become a den of thieves. Yeah. And so he's purifying, you know, even the temple or the place of worship. Wow. And so you see that he has a zeal for this, this level of purity, you know, in the, in the religious center of worship at the time. And so there's just, there's all sorts of, of kind of correlations here. And so in the same way that the lamb was slain on the 14th day, we're going to talk about that, just how this, this happens. John records it, that um, Yeshua eats a day earlier, Jesus eats a day early than the actual Passover with his disciples. And this is obviously the, the meal that takes place in the upper room. Um, you but know, they're having a Passover but meal. But they're having a Seder, yeah, yeah. So they're having a Passover meal, um, which I think is also significant. It's like, you know, where do we look to get our guidance for how to live? You know, I mean, I think the best place to look is Jesus' yeah. life, you know, and so you see him here. And he is having a Seder meal. He's having a, you know, a, he's celebrating with his disciples. Um, and so it's interesting that he does this on the 13th day because he knows by the 14th day um, he's going to be gone. And so they go to the Garden of Gethsemane that night. He's betrayed. He gets pulled in. Um, you know, he goes willing. They strip him down. They make him walk through the cross. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this representation is really, really important. As Jesus would have been taking the cross and going to where he was going to be crucified, at that same day, you're going to be having tens of thousands of Jewish people bringing a lamb into the temple to be sacrificed. Wow. <laughs> so it's just crazy. I mean, if you can, like, tens of thousands of rams being sacrificed while Jesus is about to be hung on a cross. So you have this, this picture, okay? And so as he's being laying down his life for mankind, all these lambs are going in. And so... It's really significant, too, when it talks about how he is speared at the end, you know, and it, and it talks about the water and the blood that comes down, you know. Mm-hmm. And so most people are so far removed from, like, when you kill an animal, what does that look like? But it's, it's an incredible bloody process. Like, I mean, if just we don't really understand how yeah. much blood that produces. So if you could imagine, what are you going to do with these tens of thousands of lambs that are just draining blood in your temple, you know? So you wash them out, and they have these basically gutters that would go from the temple temple place down into the Kidron Valley. And so out of the Kidron Valley, there would be basically like a spout that would just be producing blood and water all day out of, out of Jerusalem. And so you just even see in this how blood and water comes mm-hmm. out of, of Jesus representing what was happening literally like half at the a same mile time, at the yeah. same time, you know, and so this is happening just like, and so it, it's almost just too real, um, just to, to really get our head around the significance of, of, of this and just the the complete um, the completion that Jesus makes in the context of how yeah. this was happening. Uh, this morning I was watching a bunch of different little clips on YouTube of different messages <laughs> um, because I don't know why. They're always just clips. I'm like, can you post the full message? <laughs> right, it's but um, this clip I watched this morning was called Washed in the Word, and it's from Bill Johnson. And it was talking about the same thing about the blood and the water that came out of Jesus' side when they speared him. And he was more talking about, like, the symbolism behind it and how, um, hopefully I'm going to get all this right. (laughs) You should listen to it just in case. But how the altar is where they would, you know, sacrifice the animals and have the blood. And then there was also the bowl, I can't remember what it was called, that had the the water in it. And Mm -hmm. this, the the priests who were making the sacrifice, they were already clean, like, 
to get to that point in mm-hmm. there, but they still had this water there. And it was for any uncleanness that they came in contact with that wasn't their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and cool. so how when Jesus had blood and water come out of him, it's not just that we had our sins forgiven, but there is just uncleanness in the world around us. Like you can't really live in this world and yeah. not um, have uncleanness kind of touch you even no outside way. of your own will and how there, it wasn't just the blood, but it was also the water, which I thought was interesting, an I, interesting concept. Yeah, no, I really like that because there is something that seems really important um, about these two concepts, the blood and the water. And I think you can, you know, you can look at, I was thinking about it, it's like in water, I feel like even is how we're all born. It's like yeah. you're born out of like the woman's water when her mm-hmm. water brings, you know, and then his death was, it was in blood. I don't know. I just feel like there's it is so really, much significance yeah. that you can, you can really tie into, you know? Definitely. And even with the whole, um, concept of, um, baptism and mikvah and yes, all of that. Totally, totally. Um, interesting. These are more things to, to research. Totally, totally. Um, so my last question is about the Passover cups and when you have a Seder, I know that you have multiple glasses of wine, like each person does. I cannot remember how many you have. Um, and each of them represents something different. And I heard this really interesting teaching once about how it was significant, even the, the glass that Jesus was drinking from when he, when he stopped, because he actually stops in the middle of mm-hmm. the Seder yeah. and says, I'm not going to finish this until, until yeah. I'm in the kingdom yeah. and I've fulfilled the feast. Right. Um, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I'll try to get this. There's so much. I just feel like all these topics we can talk about forever. I know. <laughs> um, but so to just kind of contextualize, a Seder, Seder just means ceremony. So the official meal that happens is called a Seder in Jewish culture. Um, this can be anywhere from like an hour or if you're like super unlucky and you have to sit with <laughs> like not unlucky, but they, they yeah. can go like seven hours. It's just like, it's a little too long. It's a little but, unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, but towards the end of it, they have these cups that come out and, um, this has been celebrated for millennia in Jewish culture. At the end of the Seder, they have a blessing or a toast. Um, and they're basically toasting or, and just being thankful um, of being brought out of Egypt, and they have four cups. And the first cup represents, they say, I, like how God will say, I will take you out. So it represents being taken out of Egypt. The second cup represents how he, how they will be saved. Mm. I will save you. The third one represents how they will be redeemed, how God will redeem them. Mm. And the fourth one says is representative of how I will take you as a nation. So mm. it's got a national kind of um, connotation to it. But then they have this fifth cup. And so they drink the first four cups, but the fifth cup is not is not drank. Now, they say it's for Elijah, and so they, they say this is the cup of Elijah. We're going to leave this for him because he's going to announce that the coming of the Messiah, who's going to or, you know, herald basically our whole redemption yeah. and our freedom. And so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of significance in, in the way that they do it. Obviously, you know, we, as, as, a, as a believer, you know, I would say that there's, there's a lot more into it to this is the new covenant and they don't realize even yet that they've been setting this out yeah. in, in anticipation of this this cup. You know, it's almost this representation. They're, they're leaving a place for the Messiah. Um, and the cup is the new covenant, you know. And even, even you know, Jesus says this in Luke 22. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Mm. Um, but here's, I think, a really cool way to look at this. Like another, it's just another layer, another dimension to think about it. There's a whole Joseph connection here. 
So if you mm. if you remember like what do you remember the thing that Joseph put in Benjamin's yeah, sack? Yeah, divination the, cup. The divination cup, right? So um, this cup is actually the catalyst that Joseph chooses to use to bring uh, re- restoration to his wow. brothers, and, and so really what you have here is you have this this cup that restores relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And, and obviously Joseph is a type of a type and a foreshadow of Jesus. Yeah. He was sold in slavery by his brothers, um, but specifically by Judah. Um, and Judah's the one who sells him in mm-hmm. specifically. It was his idea at least. Then they, they come, you know, they come on hard times. They go back to Egypt. They don't recognize him in Egypt, which is many ways like the blindness that's in the eyes of the Jewish people. Now they don't recognize the Messiah, even though they more or less handed him over um, and obviously Jesus did this entirely of his free will, but I mean, just to like create the parallels in the story, you have a lot of significance here. Mm. But I think what's really interesting is that Joseph puts the cup in, in Benjamin's um, sack. And so he chose Benjamin because there were the two children that Rachel um, gave, gave uh, Abraham yeah. were uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And so obviously we know that, or sorry, Isaac... <laughs> My One of them. <laughs> um, the, you know, Isaac. Isaac loved Rachel. You know, and so that was his. That was his favorite. Yeah. That was the wife that he loved more than anything. And so she produced two children. She mm. produced Joseph, and she produced Benjamin. Now Judah stepped in, and he basically sold Joseph. And or it was his idea. The brothers went along with it, but he sold. Yeah. And so you have this whole thing where Joseph specifically chooses Benjamin to put the cup into. Um, and then when they find out, they bring the cup back, all the brothers, and, and Joseph says, okay, you can all go, but Benjamin has to stay here. And this kind of amazing thing happens. Judah just, like, breaks down and says, like, you know, take, basically take me, like, this, like, you know, it, was, it will crush my father if you take this one. And he t- t- tells Joseph this whole story. And so you see this change of heart in Judah. Mm. Like, he, he went from the brother whose idea sold was him out. to, to sold him out. Then he went and he stood in the place of Benjamin. Um, and that just brings Joseph to tears. And so he sees that, and there's this whole reconciliation between the brothers um, at that point. But this whole thing is based on this cup. And so there's a lot of ideas that this also foreshadows, um, mm-hmm. you know, when Ezekiel 36 and 37 of the dry bones, when the Jewish people want, will one day see that Jesus is their Messiah, yeah. and their eyes will be opened to this, and there will be this reconciliation. And this cup represents that, that future period. So That's very cool. Very, very cool. Um, well, this has been very, very yeah, fun. I, we should do this again. <laughs> I think it's. I think that I would just encourage people to check check out. Yeah. Um, if there's a community in, like in your area that does it, there's a ton of stuff online. Um, there's really good. They're called messianic satyrs or messianic does, which are. Um, the the way that a seder is carried on or basically there's a booklet that you get that kind of walks you through it how to do each step of it if you can get one who's done by a met by a messianic believer yeah. it's going to have the significance of the new covenant in there which is really cool yeah so anyone trying to do that definitely um i would recommend doing a messianic maybe we yeah can. there's so many good resources maybe we can put some uh, up yeah. that we recommend yeah that's a good idea um yeah definitely because and there is a lot of significance even in the rabbinical aspects of the satyrs totally. that we haven't, Absolutely. we didn't really talk about. But um, those of you who are into the feasts and everything, you know that a lot of what is done in the satyrs and all the feasts is rabbinical, and which means extra biblical. It's from other Jewish books um, that they they follow, like that are similar to scripture for them. But 
there's so much that prophesies of Jesus in all that they do in the rabbinical aspects of the satyrs that is interesting to look into as well. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. we can post some links for you guys. Yeah, definitely. We'll do that. And uh, yeah, we hope this was a blessing for you yeah, guys. Thanks for letting me interview you Absolutely. and share your wisdom with us. <laughs> for what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really good. And I hope that you guys have an amazing Passover and that yeah. um, you're staying healthy and strong during this very, very interesting time in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to end with the ironic blessing. Oh, cool. Um, so, Yavreka Arunai Vyashech Merach, Yacha Arunai Penah Elcha Vechun Mecha, Yashia Arunai Penach Elcha Vyashem Lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up your face upon you and give you his peace. Especially in this time, um, mm-hmm. we just pray for peace and for the miraculous power of the Lamb to be on all your homes and your lives this year. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's awesome. This podcast was made available by contributions from listeners like you. To donate, go online to restore7.org. Thank you.